Some of you have heard about a book that the elders have been reading together uh, over the last few months, and it's called Speaking of Jesus, and the author of it is Carl Maderis. He is uh, uh, an American that has uh, had many opportunities uh, that God has opened through his life and, and in the life of his family. Um, they live in Lebanon, uh, and, and, and God has, in his time there with his family, for instance, one example of unique situations that Carl Maderis finds himself in is He's been asked to speak in a mosque and uh, address Hezbollah soldiers, and, and in that context, the reason they would invite him to speak at the mosque was to te- teach them about Jesus. And uh, what he's experienced as he's taught right out of the New Testament, out of Matthew, is that as he's speaking and teaching, uh, they want to hear more, and, and he's been given these incredible opportunities. In fact, sometimes those conversations has led to him sitting down with Israelis and, and Palestinians at a table uh, to talk about peace, but to do so by opening the New Testament and praying with them as he teaches them Scripture in our Savior Jesus' Word. Uh, something that many would seem would think is impossible. Uh, another example of Carl Madera's life and, and circumstances, one time he was on a fishing trip. And one of our favorite stories that has come out of this study is he was on this fishing trip with his friend. It had his friend's house staying there. And his friend says, Carl, I want to introduce you to my neighbor. But you need to understand none of this sharing your faith thing. You need to keep that under wraps because when I introduce you to my friend, he's not into that. He doesn't want to know about it. I've tried. It's not worth your time. In fact, it may offend him. And not only that, he's my neighbor, not yours, so please respect that relationship. I want to introduce you to him nonetheless. And, and Carl says, well, who's your neighbor? He says, well, his name is Joe Cocker. And uh, some of you may know who Joe Cocker is. Uh, I'll give you an example, one of his songs, You Are So Beautiful. You know, you know that song? Um, now, this is when Joe Cocker was still alive, and and. Carl's like, I'd love to meet Joe Cocker, and so they, he call, his friend calls him up, says, Joe, I, I don't know if you're free, I'd love to introduce you to a friend of mine, and Joe says, well, I'm actually really busy, we're recording an album in the basement, but tell you what, I'll, I'll come up on break, I got five minutes, love to meet your friend, and so they go over there, and uh, in the kitchen or wherever they meet at the house, uh, he introduces them to Joe Cocker, he says, hi, I'm Carl, and like, good to meet you, Carl, so what do you do for a living? And his friend's like, no, right? And he says, well, I'm, I'm in the relationship building business and there's something to that effect. And Joe's like, okay, well, what's that mean? What do you do? And he says, well, I, I, I sit down with people and, and uh, work them through uh, reconciliation and, and like, wow, that's, that's got to be a great thing. Like, well, give me an example. And it's like, well, like an Israeli and a Palestinian sit down and, and uh, we talk about peace and He's like, no, you don't. Who does that? How? And he said, well, we, and his friend's like, stop it. No. And, and meanwhile, uh, Joe Cocker just keeps asking questions. And Carl explains, so, well, we study a document together that talks about peace, and it, it actually builds a, a sense of understanding. And Joe Cocker, well, what, what, what document is that? I, I want to study that document. And what document is it? And, and then as 
Carl's friend just says, fine, go for it. So he says, well, we, we study the Bible. And Joe says, really? Well, what do you study in the Bible? And so they, they open up the scripture, and he said, you have a Bible around here? He's like, yeah, I got one, I think, I, I don't know. And, and apparently he sends for somebody, they come and they bring this huge family Bible thing that has all this dust on it, and they open it up in the living room, and long story, rather short or a little longer, is they end up spending three hours that afternoon um, studying the scripture while... Carl's friend says, but Joe, I thought you only have five minutes. Don't you need to get downstairs? And, and Carl's saying, whose side are you on here? Come on. And they ended up studying scripture. And, and one of the incredible moments of studying together as he taught him about Jesus was Joe's like, I, I've never heard this before. And, and he looks up at his neighbor and he says, how come you never told me about this? You've been my neighbor all these years and you knew this? You never told me? And And all by way of saying, why are we so afraid to speak about Jesus? And I say that by way of, in all of the relationships that God puts in our lives, whether it be in our family, whether it be in a workplace or in our neighborhood or at the grocery store or at the country club or at the OPC or wherever you spend your time, why is it? That so often the relationships we have, we spend so much time talking about the weather or talking about politics or, or, or talking about you name it. Why isn't it that conversation centered on Jesus doesn't take more of our time? Especially when we realize what he has done and what this means for us. When I pick this up along a roadside, we this incredible encounter, and this is early on, the same day as, as uh, the women that had gone to the tomb on, on Easter Sunday, and they found the tomb empty, and, and, and these resurrection appearances begin to play out. This one happens, must have happened sometime late that afternoon, as two of the disciples were walking down a road to Emmaus, uh, seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, some scholars think that because they were so dejected and, and, and hopelessness had overtaken them as followers of Jesus. They were going back home, and, and you can just sense the tension in the air. And, and what plays out here, you know, the conversation is about all these events that have played out, and the suffering of Jesus, and his arrest before that, and, and, and being put in the grave, and then this report that some are saying that he's not in the grave anymore, and now they're even more dejected because they don't get it. And then what plays out here that we read just a few moments ago is almost like an episode out of, any of you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? It's a show where like a CEO, for instance, like of Subway, puts on a disguise and then he he spends time getting a a part-time job at a Subway to learn what it's like going on on the grassroots level of the business. And and, and it's it's a fascinating show to watch because then employees start talking about management and the problem with the company and all this sort of stuff. And you're watching, you're like, do you know what you're saying and who you're saying it to? That's your CEO, that's your boss. And it's almost like that playing out here. They walk along and they're dejected, they're overwhelmed. And it says that Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. I mean, this is awesome. And but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, so what are you discussing together as you walk along? And, and they stood still. It's interesting, they stopped walking. And, and their faces are downcast, Luke says. And, 
One of them named Cleopas asked him, are are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that have happened in these days? Clearly, this was a big deal. People were talking about it. And it's like, where have you been? You've been living under a rock? How do you not know? And I mean, just the irony of all of this, Jesus asking the question, oh, what things, right? And he's messing with them. I love this. And Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He, he was a prophet. He's powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped. Hmm. Do you hear the tense of that? We had hoped that he was the one. Past tense. You get a glimpse of where they're at. It's not that we are hoping he is the one. No, they, we had hoped. Because they really believe it's over. Game over. It, there's no hope anymore. And I mean, you can't hardly blame them. I mean, they'd spent this time with Jesus and this incredible man who is God in the flesh, who is going around healing people and preaching forgiveness and grace and is going across cultural boundaries to share the kingdom of God with people who are dejected and, and, and reconciling people and speaking truth to the realities of their day. I mean, there was, hope was alive unlike ever before. But then hope went into a grave and then that grave was found empty and they didn't get it. They assumed the worst that it just magnified their pain that someone had taken the body. They had hoped in the past tense. And, and they go on to share what had happened. And the women, they told us the story, the tomb that early this morning, they didn't find his body. They came and told us and that they had seen some vision of angels who said he was alive. And so then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not find Jesus. See, there's no joy in this yet because they don't get it. And that's when Jesus says this, how foolish you are. I don't know if I want Jesus saying that to me. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory. Now, if you're walking along with a stranger who now starts preaching to you, how do you take that? How slow to believe you are. Don't you get it? Don't you know? And I sometimes wonder if the Lord says the same to us. Don't we get it? And we have the benefit of being this side of the story. We know what happened. They didn't. And yet, what is it that we spend our time talking about? When life turns difficult and challenging, when we spend time in the relationships we've been given, and life is difficult and challenging, and we said, but we had hoped. (laughs) Or we say, but I thought God would do something about this. And rather than speaking about God, often we spend time on the weather and politics because it's safer, and we just avoid the tough things in life. And often we're surrounded by people that are hungry and thirsty to know that there is hope. And then Luke makes one of the biggest blunders, at least in some people's eyes and mine, just 
he says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus went on to explain to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And, and he says this like, awesome, okay, what did he say? And Luke doesn't record it. Like, oh, really? Oh, can you imagine what a Bible study that would have been at the feet of Jesus to hear what Jesus said, walking through all of the Old Testament and what the scriptures had spoken about himself? Incredible highlights of messianic promises. There's hundreds of them. Which ones do you think Jesus highlighted along the way? Those scriptures that clearly spoke about what Messiah would do, what Messiah would be willing to do going the way of suffering and lay down his life for the sin and the brokenness and the dejection of the world. How he would suffer, how he would die, and on the third day be raised again to new life. What did Jesus tell them and speak to them that day? We don't know. We might have some idea, but Luke doesn't tell us. But to think, Jesus showed them. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly. It's almost like Shakespeare at this point. They said, stay with us, Lord, for it is evening, and the day is almost over. Isn't that poetic? I love that line. And so he went in to stay with them. And then it happens. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened. You know, spending time breaking bread has that effect on people. You know, it's it certainly it, through the eyes of the sacrament, we can't just pass over this and realize here they are with the resurrected Jesus who has conquered death, one of these first encounters with Christ, and, and there he is breaking bread and their eyes are opened in the midst of that. I mean, you see the, the gift of the Lord's Supper there. Christ comes among his people, opens the eyes of, of doubt and fear, and opens our eyes to faith and trust, and opens our mouths to speak in joy of what, what we have seen and what we have heard. There's powerful connections to that here. And yet there's also connections to relationships in our lives with others too. You know, cultures around the world recognize that when you go around a table with others and you break bread with them, there is a companionship there. There's a relationship factor that matters. And to have relationships of significance where the conversation around tables that we dine at and spend our time at is that it would be filled with messages and, and, and topics that have to do with our Savior. That when God has his way and he's present with us as he says he is, that we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. There's something about breaking bread with people in our lives. I want to show you a couple pictures. This first one, this is a picture of the group from St. John, and there were over 50 kids and chaperones that went on a trip down to Mexicali over spring break, Mexicali, Mexico, crossing a border into a different culture, a different, different uh, uh, ethno, uh, ethno, not only ethnicity, but also economic status, crossing the border into a very poverty-stricken area, and giving up their spring break. These are the, the kids and the, the, the two uh, adults that went from our congregation down there over spring break, and uh, two of them were my daughters, Abby and Katie. And, you know, you talk to these kids, and last night we had an opportunity to just ask them, you know, how did you see 
Jesus working through relationships in this experience. And uh, you hear how that relationship was built with one another and that freedom to speak of Jesus with each other and, and build each other's faith and that encouragement and prayer for one another as part of the preparation, three months of preparation for this trip. But also then in the experiences that they faced down in, in Mexico. My youngest daughter, Katie, one of the things I asked her when she got back, I said, what was one of your favorite memories? And uh, actually, look at the next slide here. You, you, you've got, uh, as an example, one of the churches they worked at, I'm breaking where I was going with this for a moment, that one of the churches they worked at is uh, called St. John Lutheran Church. And um, St. John Lutheran Church was closed for 10 years and while the kids were down there, they were part of a restoration process, and, and this building had been condemned because some, it had been looted and, and destroyed, and it hadn't been used for 10 years. And while they were there, they did some finishing touches on it, and the congregation had their first worship service there in 10 years, and, and kind of a neat thing. St. John Lutheran Church, pretty cool. And, and uh, my daughter Katie, and just those interactions with the kids. And, and, uh, but I asked her, I said, so what was one of your favorite memories. And with that, she went to her suitcase and she pulled out a plastic bag and in it uh, was all of these um, stacked up, um, I don't know, like pita bread, but it was actually tortillas. And, uh, and she held this up and she handed it to me. She says, this. I said, it's, it's bread. She's like, uh-huh. She said, these were handmade, uh, homemade by one of the host families that we spend time with working at, at their house and on their property. And uh, their mom made these, and she made them homemade, and then she, we, had, we had lunch together, uh, and, and it was the best food I've ever had. And I said, well, what made it so good? And, and she said, not only was the food good, but to be able to be at a table with people who not everybody spoke our same language of English, but to realize Jesus was there. And, and have a sense that Christ was present with them, crossing boundaries, crossing borders, crossing ethnicity, and crossing economics, to know that Christ is with us. You know, I think this is what's going on here. Because they break bread. Jesus opens their eyes. And do you notice what they, don't, they do there? They, they don't just stay at the table. Because they can't help but go and tell. And they run right back to Jerusalem, seven miles. And they go back to the rest of the family of God and they report it. He is alive. And by this time, reports had made it back to the group that he had also appeared to Peter individually. And Paul makes reference of that. And there is a joy factor. Christ has conquered the grave. And it's changing everything as they know it. Their conversations, their understanding of what's important, their identity as people, and what matters in work and in family, in life. This is what matters. Jesus. And it's the center of all they are and all they will become and all that God has created them to be. And it's still true, folks. Christ is risen. 